The passage that Christian and Audra read for you from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, is my most favorite picture of worship in the entire Bible. And I just, just think about this great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Hundreds of millions, probably billions of Christ followers will be gathered one day in heaven, side by side. Believers from every race, nation, language, ethnicity, with no regard to age or education or status or class or beauty or intelligence or achievement or failure in this life, all united in passionate worship of the living God and His risen Son, Jesus. Regardless of background or denominational differences, they gather alongside the angels and cry with one voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. My dream for Lake Ridge Baptist Church is that one day soon our worship will reflect this ultimate vision for God's church. I see a day in which people are hurrying. They are excited to get here. They are driving in their cars. They are coming on foot from the communities around us, eager to worship the living God and His risen Son alongside their very best friends in the world. I see a day in which great crowds are gathering here to worship alongside their families and their their friends and complete strangers who will soon be their friends. I see our congregation looking increasingly like that great congregation in heaven as believers of many races and nationalities and ethnicities and backgrounds gather to worship here, side by side, united in their love of God and Jesus. I picture this church as a hub of activity throughout the week as as God's people first worship devotedly and then we welcome one another into, into God's presence and into each other's lives. And we are built up into the very likeness of Jesus Christ and then we are pouring out into the community, reaching out to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Serving as God's lighthouse, shining brightly for Christ, penetrating the increasingly dark and violent and lonely and broken world around us. And I don't think this dream is some idle fantasy. This is what I am praying for. This is what I'm asking God's help for us to become as a church. This is what I am committing my abilities and efforts such as they are for us to become if called as pastor here. This is what I invite each and every one of you to commit to helping become a reality through prayer, through giving, through serving and ministering the passions God has given you, used for His glory. Our 2020 vision, our roadmap to this dream, if you will, ultimately centers around worship. Because we reach out because there are people around us who are created in the image of God and loved by God, but who don't know the joy of worshiping the living God and our risen Savior. We welcome in so that we can worship together, so we can experience a foretaste of that heavenly worship right here in hustling, bustling, overstressed, burned out northern Virginia.
we build up so that we might worship more richly, live a, a life of ongoing worship and discipleship, which is equipped to reach out and invite others to worship alongside us. This vision is what the Great Commission looks like for this community of faith in this time and in this place. And it is my firm conviction that our faithfulness in this effort will be the difference between either our becoming that thriving place of profound worship or our becoming increasingly irrelevant and eventually fading away. If I'm called as your lead pastor, leading us into this vision will be my objective until such time as God lays a new vision before our church. All of the many things that I am most eager to do as your pastor, investing in your lives and in your families, spending time forming and deepening relationships with you, visiting with you, counseling with you, praying together, joyfully teaching and proclaiming God's word and revitalizing this church and becoming a part of God's movement here in eastern Prince William County, they're all part of the comprehensive vision that has been placed before us. To be God's lighthouse by welcoming in, building up, and reaching out. So if worship is at the heart of this, if the dream is to become a little bit, a little hint of what heaven is going to be like, how do we experience that kind of worship here? How do we experience the passionate, united, diverse worship that whets our appetite for heaven every single week? It begins with understanding and engaging in godly worship right here, right now, today, November 12th, and every single Sunday after that, as we gather as a people to worship the living God of the universe. The challenge for this is that godly worship isn't just about what Mark, Neil, Philip, and I do though we certainly play a part in helping foster godly worship. But ultimately, godly worship is based on what each and every person in this room does themselves. This fall, we're studying the habits of godly people, the disciplines that form us and, and reform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so far, we've looked at godly prayer, godly giving, and the godly embrace of God's word. Today, we consider how we are to worship in a godly way. We are reminded that, that Paul commands us to train ourselves for godliness. That it doesn't just come naturally, doesn't just come by showing up, it comes through effort. So how do we worship in a godly way? What do we need to do? Because worship is what we were made to do. It's what we're going to be doing in eternity. It draws us close to the Lord, and it's, it's what should be fueling our passion for Jesus Christ as we go about our daily lives. But godly worship, as I said, doesn't just happen because you show up on Sunday morning, settle back in your seat to watch a show. Worship is not a place. Worship is not an event. It's not a time. Godly worship that brings us before the throne of God and excites us in celebration of God's profound mysteries and beauty is an action that each of us chooses to do. It is a choice that we must make whenever we gather to 
worship. And so godly worship is something we have to train for, something we have to discipline ourselves to do, because godly worship can happen whether we love the music or not. Whether we love the sermon or not. Godly worship can happen whether we like the person sitting next to us or not. Godly worship can happen when there is total silence and and when this sanctuary is, is filled with the sounds of lively and squirming children. Godly worship can happen when we feel great and when we feel lousy. But to worship in a godly manner under all circumstances requires discipline. Because our minds wander. Our hearts stray. We get sleepy. But it's important. It's critical that we worship in a godly manner. Jesus tells us in Matthew 15, 8 and 9 that our worship can be a waste of time. He quotes the prophet Isaiah, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines of the commandments of men. So the question I will pose is, is your worship this morning in vain? Is your heart far from the Lord? Or have you been engaging in godly worship? But I think the most fundamental question that we need to answer to get to the conclusion on that is, what does godly worship look like? And the Bible gives us lots of examples, right? We have the example from Revelation, but we also have an example from the book of Nehemiah, which is the book we've been going through this fall as we've been exploring these different habits and disciplines that for thousands of years have drawn people closer to God. And so as Nehemiah continues the work of rebuilding God's people, we saw last week they got excited about God's law. For the first time they heard his word proclaimed, they were excited about it. Now, today we're going to see them become once again a people who are worshiping the Lord joyfully in a godly way. Our passage this morning is Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 18. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. From the days of Jeshua the son of Nun to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Immediately after the great reading of the law that we talked about last week in the first part of Nehemiah chapter 8, the the leaders of the community started gathering for Bible study, which is a great idea. So literally, it's the next day. The, the law was read on the first day of the seventh month. On the second day, they start Bible study. And as the studies began, they learned about the festival of booths. 
which is supposed to begin on the 15th day of the seventh month, so two weeks after the great reading of the law. The Festival of Booths is a very interesting kind of thing. It's a little bit kind of, may it seem odd. I think actually people would probably find it pretty cool in our community today, but it's a week-long celebration that takes place after the harvest in which the people of Israel go and live in, in temporary shelters that they build on flat rooftops or in courtyards or public spaces. Basically, they're camping in the yard. And Leviticus chapter 23, verses 42 and 43 explains why. God says, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What this festival is, is it is an annual, week-long, multi-generational worship experience to remind the people of, of the goodness of God of his majesty, of his power, of his provision, and his salvation for the people. And it was specifically a time when the older generations would pass on the truths of God to the younger generation. And it was a week of just tremendous joy and feasting. The harvest was in, times were good. There was a celebration of God's day-to-day provision, as well as this sort of great salvific protection And it is centered around God's word and these gatherings at the beginning and the end, these corporate group worship gatherings that bookend the feast. Now, the good news, at least from my perspective, is that we don't have to camp out to worship God. But as we see their excitement and their joy, we actually can observe principles of godly worship that are relevant to us right here on a Sunday morning nearly 2,500 years later. Specifically from Nehemiah, we observe that godly worship is unified, fully involving both heads and hearts. So let's unpack this a little bit. First, godly worship is unified. The Festival of Booths was this, it was intentionally a shared experience for all believers. Everybody made their little temporary hut. Everybody spent the week camping out. Verse 17 reports that all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. And this common worship experience not only brought the adults together, it intentionally brought all the generations together to teach the truths of God. This has a lot of value to us as Christians today because Ephesians 6.4 commands parents to disciple our children. That we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And common worship, being together in the worship of the Lord, is a part of that. And that's actually why we want families to worship together here at Lakeridge. And I get that as a parent, that having your kids with you throughout the entire worship service can be a bit of a challenge at times. It certainly was for me. But there is a much greater good that we need to keep in mind here that is at stake. You see, we worship together as families to give families shared experiences they can discuss. To make it easier for parents to feel comfortable talking about the things of God with their children because they have experienced them together in the worship service. And so we truly don't mind if your kids are a bit noisy or distracting. A lot of parents who have been church their whole lives get really nervous about that. Oh, my kids are being annoying. They're more annoying to you than they are to us. 
They don't bother us up front at all. We provide the Draw the Sermon clipboards to give children a way for them to interact with something that we admit is a bit more adult-oriented in the sermon. But the next step then for each mom or dad present is to, to start asking two or three questions, simple questions about the sermon over lunch while everybody's memory is still fresh. And what this does is it helps every family learn to worship together, to learn to take simple steps to disciple their children. And yes, it's a bit more work to worship together today. But this is about doing everything we possibly can to teach the next generation how to worship once they're adults. How to be a part of the church rather than falling away from a church that they never learned to be a part of as a child isolated off in the children's wing and the youth wing. We see this in the purpose of the Festival of Booths. We actually see it take place in that passage in Ephesians. Right, Ephesians chapter 6 actually begins with a direct call out, a direct message communicating to the children who were gathered in church worshiping with their families. That's why that letter, which was intended to be read in church, begins, children, do this, right? They weren't reading it out of a book. They were in church with their families at a worship service, hearing it read. But Nehemiah gives us a portrait as well of a people worshiping the Lord with joy and unity. And this is something we want to experience every time we gather here to worship. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 commands us to gather together for worship and encouragement. The writer says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. That would be getting together for worship. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In our worship services, we need to be welcoming everyone in. Everyone who is making the effort, right, to come together. Whether it is their first visit or their 501st visit. We need to be welcoming everyone in. Not just our old friends, but newcomers as well. Or people who've been just going to the other service for so long, we think they're newcomers. We need to embrace others so that we can all feel comfortable and safe and welcome here in the house of the Lord to worship the Lord. And so I want to challenge everyone here, every single Sunday, right? I'm not just challenging the deacons. Everyone here, every single Sunday, to find someone you don't know and introduce yourself. Welcome them in. Embrace them. Because we each have responsibility. This is something we need to recognize. When it comes to worship, we each have responsibility to create this vision of worship. We each have a responsibility to create common, unified, godly worship. And you know what? When you make that effort to not just plop in your seat and look straight forward until people start singing and you're safe from having to talk to anybody you don't know, you're not only helping other people who are new here and uncomfortable, you're not only helping them to worship, your worship is going to be deepened by this profoundly as well. Why? Because as we embrace other people, as we embrace those we don't really know, as we embrace those who are different from us, we are preparing ourselves for the joy of this worship we see that we will be doing for eternity. We are preparing ourselves to worship as one body with believers of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. 
But as we look at Nehemiah, we also see that the experience described there demonstrates that godly worship fully involves our heads, our minds, our brains, fully engaged. Now this should seem obvious, but I will tell you it is not. Godly worship is all about God. Dr. Don Whitney defines it this way. To worship is to ascribe the proper worth to God, to magnify his worthiness of praise. Worship focuses on and responds to God. So when we gather, there are many good causes and activities that we could talk about. There are a lot of good stories we could tell. There are many good events we could promote, but that's not worship. Worship focuses solely on the person, presence, power, and activity of the living God and our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And to worship in a godly way, our minds need to fully focus on God and His Son, or else we're not really worshiping in a godly manner. In Nehemiah, the godly worship of the revitalized people of God was built on the Word of God. Verse 18 reports, Day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the Law of God. The Festival of the Booths involved seven days of reading and learning about God's Word, and, and all Godly worship, not just then, but today, is grounded in the Bible for the very simple reason the Bible is God's revelation of himself. It is how we get to know who God is, and and most particularly, the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ. All godly worship requires that we engage our minds specifically in the worship of God as revealed in Scripture. That's what it means to worship in truth, in the truth of Scripture. All of our singing, our praying, our reading, our preaching must be grounded in the truth of God as revealed in Scripture. But to truly worship the Lord, it's not just about the elements up front. It's about each of us. Our minds must engage with each of these elements. The singing, the praying, the giving, the preaching. As we pray, our minds must be praying along with the speaker, affirming and amening. As we sing, we mustn't sing mindlessly. Our minds must rejoice in the great truths being sung. As we give, we must give as an act of worship, not an act of burden or a chore or a checking of the box. And as one of us preaches, we must engage our mind with God's word and be discerning and, and reviewing. And is what he's saying true? We should be assessing and affirming. If, if so, we should be seeking to understand and apply God's word in our lives. If your head isn't engaged, if you're not thinking about God, you're not worshiping in a godly manner at that moment. It's as simple as that. Now, we all have our weak times. We all have those days where we're sleepy, where we're, our mind is in other places. We understand. We have a God of grace and mercy. But we need to understand mere physical presence is not worship. And so we must learn to discipline ourselves. That's why we must train ourselves for godliness, because it is hard to stay focused for an hour but we're called to train ourselves for godliness if we want to worship in a godly way. But we can't just stop with keeping our mind engaged. We don't just stop with our heads because godly worship fully involves our hearts, our emotions, our spirits. 
Returning to the example we see in Nehemiah, we see in verse 17, right? It's not just that they were having fun camping. It says, there was very great rejoicing. The festival of booths was a joyful occasion. It celebrated God's work in the daily lives of the people, as well as his tremendous works in history. It celebrated God's provision, his salvation, his nature, his faithfulness. The fact that he is there with us in the good times and in the bad. And, and that's really at the heart. Godly worship should be able to affect us profoundly when we choose to put our hearts, throw our whole hearts into that worship, into praise, into celebration of God's nature and provision and our salvation, the things that never change, even as our external circumstances do. That's the essence of worshiping in spirit, worshiping on the inside, not just the external forms and behaviors. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have so much to celebrate and rejoice in, no matter our circumstances, that we can learn to discipline ourselves to celebrate and worship God in our hearts, even amidst distraction and defeat and suffering and illness and even death. And we can do this because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then God's Spirit is present with you every single moment of every single day. When you are riding high and feeling good, God is with you. And when you are crushed and broken, you are ashamed and defeated, discouraged and feeling hopeless, God is with you. And you can rejoice amidst it because God loves you and he always will, no matter what mess you get yourself into. He's always ready to lift you up, clean you off, and embrace you warmly when you return to him and ask forgiveness. We can engage our hearts. We can discipline ourselves to engage our hearts by by constantly celebrating our salvation. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we know that our salvation, our forgiveness for all of our mistakes and our sin and our shame, our worthiness to come before the great and holy and perfect Lord of the universe doesn't come from working hard. It doesn't come from doing good deeds or, or living a really moral life. Because we can never do enough of that to be good enough to be perfect. We rejoice that our eternal life in the presence of God comes not from exhausting efforts on our part to to be perfect, to do all the right things, but, but that our forgiveness and eternal life comes as a gift of God. His grace we don't deserve, given through the once for all sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross. We rejoice that by that voluntary sacrifice of the righteous and perfect and holy Son of God, all of our sins were paid for, all of our debts were canceled to God forever through faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we worship, godly worship involves focusing our hearts onto these great matters, these great subjects, and, and rejoicing and celebrating, even when the rest of the world would look at us and say, that you have nothing to celebrate or be happy about. And this matters. Godly worship matters because Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 commands us to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Godly worship means that we worship as one unified body. It means that each of us is worshiping in spirit, in our hearts, and in truth with our minds. 
That's the portrait of fully engaged worship we see in Nehemiah. And it is what we need to be striving for every single week as a body of believers when we gather before the Lord to celebrate his great good news. And the question each of us must wrestle with over the next moments and days is whether our worship to this point is acceptable or whether we have worshipped in vain and need to turn our hearts to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a tremendous blessing you have poured out on us. What glorious good news you have given us. The gift that you offer us through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, that we have been set free from sin and death and shame and guilt through faith in Christ. So, Lord, in your great majesty, let us worship in a godly way. Let our worship be acceptable, Lord. I pray that you will help us each and every week to come with a mindset to worship, not a mindset that expects to sit back and wait for worship to happen. That we would worship in unity, that we would worship with our minds fully engaged, our hearts excited, loving and praising you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.